Yeah, yeah. Can I um, tell you a story about what happened on my hike? I I suppose. <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was a very exciting moment for me. So, okay. um, so we're going to get oh, into... Oh, wait a minute. Is this celebrity status stuff? No, not, not celebrity <laughs> status, but I was like very pleased that somebody like recognized the podcast. So I was, you know, we were hiking and I think we were coming back across field. And um, by the way, the distance from Mount Field to Mount Willie is ridiculous. Like in my head, I always think it's only going to be like a short hike, but it's like it goes on forever. <laughs> It's so annoying. But um, anyway, so we came across Mount Field, and we were just hanging out there. I think we we uh, were just adjusting our gear. So I have a new backpack. So I was talking to one another hiker, and she's asked me about the backpack, and I was like, "Oh, I love it." And I'm going to talk about it in a little while on the on the gear review. And I had mentioned to her, I was like, "All right, I'm going to do a little bit of marketing." So I mentioned to her, I was like, "Oh, I have a podcast, and I'm going to actually do a gear review about the backpack." And she asked me what the name of it was, so I gave gave her the name, and she she was like, "Oh my god, I listened to the podcast." So I wanted to say hello <laughs> to Sarah and let her know that um, you know I was so happy that she had actually heard the podcast because I figured there's only like five or six people that'll listen to this dumb show, but it's pretty cool. <laughs> That's pretty amazing, actually. When you think yeah. about it, what are the odds? Yeah, exactly. So that was, <laughs> but that's about the extent of the marketing I've done. Is like, yeah, listen to my podcast. <laughs> that's funny. I've I've received a few like you know random texts from people, and they all seem to be um, like general contractors, which is a weird trend that we're developing. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Well, people, it makes sense. They're they're doing work all day on the houses. They need something to listen to, <laughs> right? Broadcasting from the Woodpecker Studio in the great state of New Hampshire, welcome to the Sounds Like a Search and Rescue podcast, where we discuss all things related to hiking and search and rescue in the White Mountains of New Hampshire. Here are your hosts, Mike and Stomp. All right, so episode 11, Stomp, we're going to be talking about gear. Top of the morning to you. Yeah, 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 yeah. (laughs) We're, uh... We're recording in the morning, which uh, never happens. Yeah, strange. I'm in my I'm in my new area too. I'm not in my normal woodpecker studio location. Yeah, I noticed that. Where are you? Upstairs? Downstairs? I'm, I'm Different upstairs. rooms. Wow. Up, upstairs. In the, uh, the, the kids gave you the boot. <laughs> se- second level studio, <laughs> exactly. So, this week we're going to focus a segment on s- summer hiking gear. Just getting into hiking and trying to figure out where to start for gear choices, we will open up our backpacks and gear closets to share with you what we wear and carry while hiking in the White Mountains. In addition to the gear discussion, we will talk about the upcoming Mount Washington Road Race coming up on Father's Day weekend. We will also cover some listener questions including the best personal locator beacons, finding out exactly what Stomp means when he says he was a Woodstock baby, in the origin of the Woodpecker Studio name. And of course, we'll still have some search and rescue stories to go over as well. I'm Mike. And I'm Stomp. Let's get started. All right, Stomp. So we are, as you alluded to earlier, we are recording in the morning here. Mm. So there's no beer discussion. I mean, if you're drinking a beer <laughs> at 10 o'clock in the morning, you can you can discuss it, but I'm hoping no. Mimosas? <laughs> no, no. No, I'm drinking a nice black coffee. And yeah, boy, yeah. Do what's I need your it. what's your brand of coffee? Maybe we can plug that. I don't know. I I, I raided my uh, folks' little box downstairs. They're moving in this week. Woohoo! Oh, so they nice, said, "Hey, nice here's thing. our box of coffee that we uh, you know Keurig cups or whatever." So I think this is like a glazed donut flavor. 
They get oh, everything nice. at one of those big uh, bulk stores. I think it's um, not, maybe not Costco. I, I forget the name of the other one. Anyway, everything's Kirkland. Kirkland, Kirkland, Kirkland. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's like the Costco brand, right? <laughs> I think so. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think it is. I don't go to Costco, but I got, I got to get on that. Yeah. Um, when you when you do backpacking, do you do, like, I've I found, like, some people, like, the backpack, they'll say, like, ah, I don't bother with coffee, even though they are coffee drinkers. But do, you do coffee in the morning, right? When yeah. You're, when you're out hiking? That's one thing that we do. We'll do, like, those little um, instant uh, packages. And, you know, I, I have this really rudimentary, I don't do the whole jet boil thing. It's just all that stuff just takes up so much room. I just have a, you know, basic cup and um, a little walmart special screw-in furnace and a single propane tank so i can heat up a you know, couple things anyway some people go crazy with that stuff yeah yeah my friend jonathan i've talked about him before like he has a nice like coffee press and stuff. it's it's oh man it, for, <laughs> for winter hiking it's awesome well but, yeah um, it's, I it's a lot of work mm -hmm. yeah. yeah for for yeah. colder temperatures sure but yeah i mean i'm i'm always really basic when i do my backpacks yeah, it's weight versus luxury. Yeah, right? for sure. So, yeah, but I do. So, my recommendation for coffee when you're backpacking is I, I just get the I get the instant coffee, but I the Starbucks instant coffee because you know it's it's pretty strong and mm -hmm. it, it works out pretty well. So I just heat my boil my water and drop that in there, and it's it's a good start to the day. But anyway, I'm drinking just coffee myself, so no beer for this show, which is the first time we haven't <laughs> talked about beer. Yeah, right. So it's strange. It's 10 o'clock. We have two hours to go. So if we yeah, run over, exactly. we can crack one at noon. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So um, any any recent hikes for you or anything outdoors? Yeah. Well, last night we had a uh, qualifier. This is mid-May and uh, f for PEMI, the search and rescue team. And we went up to Greenleaf and um, I held the back of the line and I made it up to 3K, which is cool. That's basically Eagle Pass. And at that point, you know, still plenty of sunlight, but I just figured I'm not going to push it. The rest of the crew was ahead of me, maybe a couple hundred feet, and they were telling me over the radio that there was still a good deal of snow. It's amazing. It's like it kicked in right after 3,000 feet. There was um, uh, maybe a four-foot-wide monorail, you know, mushy, crappy, dirty snow. They made it up to the hut in basically boots, a couple put-on spikes, but I turned back at uh, 3K. And just, just to play it safe, you know, after yeah, my yeah. surgery. But I feel, I feel good. After this, I'm going to actually go out and try something small too. Maybe head up Welch, come back down. I feel like I'm on a roll now, finally. How about you? Nice. Nice. Well, uh, you're on a roll, but just don't roll down the hill. <laughs> yeah, so far so good. This this hip of mine is feeling pretty solid, but it's just, I don't know, just my endurance. And I feel a little like... Um, not unbalanced. Well, maybe unbalanced, I suppose, at, at times, but uh, we're getting there. I was on the um, Willie Tom Field um, range last weekend. I went up with my friend Tom, who, again, I mentioned Tom before on the show as well. Uh, so he is working on his 4,000 footer. So he had, I think he had done Field and, and Tom before, but he needed to get over to Willie. So I was talking to him, and he was we were trying to figure out what direction to go. And I told him I was like, "Let's not go up Willie Ridge." I said I didn't want to deal with the ladder, so I was like, "Let's just hit Avalon, and then we will go up to Field and Willie, and then make the call on whether or not we want to get over to uh, to Mount Tom." So hmm. we experienced it almost the exact same scenario as you. So we bear booted um, to Mount Avalon, which is on the fifty-two with a view list, mm. and That's got up there. Trip. That's an oh, it's an amazing view there. I mean, everyone oh, yeah. talks about Mount Willard and how 
the view is is really nice for like an easy hike. So Avalon's a little bit more difficult. It's definitely steep as you get up to the top, but the view is is sort of like Willard Plus. You know, you've got that whole view of Webster Cliff. Mm-hmm. and, um, you know, out into the Crawford uh, Notch region. So that was perfect. So we beer booted up to there. And then um, when we got into the coal between Avalon and where you start to ascend up Mount Field, we, we, you know, we started dealing with the same thing. It's like, a, you know, a little over 3,000 feet, and we had the, the you know, snowpack and, and monorail. And we mostly beer booted up to the peak of field i think we like maybe around 400 feet below the peak we just said you know what it's time to just put the spikes on so we had spikes on and um you know again this was second week in may so you know it was monorail all the way across the willie ridge and then we we came down i got a i got a call with a family situation i had to get down a little bit early so we skipped Mm -hmm. tom and you know just got out but it was a great day uh weather forecast was supposed to be uh, a little gloomy with maybe some some heavy wind and and rain but it turned out to be like no wind and and perfect so definitely a a great day how crowded were the uh, trails um, they were pretty sparse. So we saw maybe like four or five other groups. I mean, and that area gets a lot of hiking. So nobody yeah. was going up Avalon except for us. We didn't see anybody last night on Greenleaf, which is amazing because last year during the, um, the pandemic, it was like a conga line of people. So I don't know where all the people are yet, but, uh, next week is going to be super warm on the, um, Pemi Insta page. I put up a little post about don't be fooled by the warm weather because it's still, treacherous on those trails yeah yeah can i um tell you a story about what happened on my hike i i suppose (laughs) it was was a very exciting moment for me so um so we're gonna get oh wait a minute is this celebrity status stuff no not 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 celebrity status (laughs) but i was like very pleased that somebody like recognized the podcast so i was we were hiking and i think we were coming back across field and um by the way the distance from mount field to mount willie is ridiculous like in my head i always think it's only going to be like a short hike but it's like it goes on forever (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it's so annoying but um anyway so we came across mount field and we were just hanging out there i think we we uh were just adjusting our gear so i have a new backpack so i was talking to one of the, another hiker and she's asked me about the backpack and i was like oh i love it and i'm going to talk about it in a little while on the on the gear review and i had mentioned to her i was like all right i'm going to do a little bit of marketing so i mentioned to her i was like oh i have a podcast and i'm going to actually do a gear review about the backpack and she asked me what the name of it was, so I gave gave her the name, and she, she was like, oh, my God, I listened to the podcast. So I wanted to say hello <laughs> to Sarah and let her know that um, you know I was so happy that she had actually heard the podcast, because I figured there's only like five or six people that will listen to this dumb show, but it's pretty cool. <laughs> That's pretty amazing, actually, when you yeah. think about it. What are the odds? Yeah, exactly. So anyway, that was, <laughs> but that's about the extent of the marketing I've done is like, yeah, listen to my podcast. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, I've I've received a few like you know random texts from people, and they all seem to be um, like general contractors, which is a weird trend that we're developing. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Well, people, it makes sense. They're they're doing work all day on houses. They need something to listen to, <laughs> right? Oh boy, but uh, yeah, it's been fun. It, it nice. seems like it's starting to stick a little bit. Nice, nice. All right. Well, moving on to uh, website updates. So slasherpodcast.com, we got a couple of updates to be on the, the lookout for. So we're, we're covering gear today. 
So one of the things that we have added to the website is a full gear list. So um, I'm putting in my summer day hiking and my summer backpacking gear list. And then Stomp, I don't know if you're going to put together a list or not, but we'll start with mine. And then if you feel motivated, you can put yours in. Yeah, yeah, I can I can do that. Um, I, it, mine's sort of weird because I don't really, I, I, I pack for, missions so it's it's sort of like this it changes every every week you know depending on the weather and this and that so it's tough to nail it down but the the fundamentals that you've listed are are fantastic and we can really dig into those yeah yeah and i think that there is a there's a gear list on the uh the pemi site as well like what you guys carry on missions so we can always link that i think yeah that's based upon the uh nasa list north american search and rescue and uh yeah there's a funny story about that. A lot of the new recruits show up having looked at that list with with all that stuff in their pack, and <laughs> they're ready for the qualifier with a seventy pound pack. Like, no, well, no, no, it's your discretion. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I do remember like years ago. Like, I don't know how long you've been on search and rescue, but um, don't. I'm I'm giving away some secrets here, but Stomp is a. Um, is a transplanted mass hole. So for a while he was uh, he was living in Massachusetts. So uh, when he moved up, like getting on search and rescue, I think was one of the things he did pretty early on. So I think he had like talked about like with all the gear stuff that he had been looking at, and I was like, wow, this is just crazy. But uh, yeah. they, you know, we've we've obviously discussed why you need that type of gear. So it's so. But anyway, we will mm-hmm. have uh, my gear list at least on the on the website. So if you want to take a look, if you're trying to figure out like, do you have everything you need? I'm yeah. not promising that I've got everything covered, and we'll we'll talk about that in a little bit more detail on the when we get into the gear list. But mm-hmm. uh, it's it's a good resource for you to use. Absolutely. All right. So uh, Stomp, first segment here is um, listener questions. So now that we are out in the um, you know, in the podcast universe, we are starting to get some questions. So I think some of the stuff came up through the Instagram page. Some of the stuff came through my wife, <laughs> and then uh, some of it had come through um, the the Facebook page and email. So I wanted to just cover a couple of things here. So the first question, Stomp, is for you. Um, you had mentioned in a previous show that you were a Woodstock baby. And wait a minute, I wait just, a minute, whoa, 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 whoa! People are asking about yeah. this. Uh, well, okay. Well, my wife is asking about it. So, okay. um, that's funny. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> what does that mean? Does that when you say you're a Woodstock baby, does that just mean that you were born in 1969, or were you actually oh, yeah. created at Woodstock? No, just just in reference to the date. And um, I was born in November, which is after the fact. But my dad went to Woodstock while my mom was pregnant with me so my it's like great he's in woodstock what if what if she went into labor early he oh sorry you can't make it (laughs) so he went to woodstock and you're yeah oh Oh, yeah my dad experienced the whole thing i mean he showed up um when the fences were pushed down and he got in for free and just saw the whole concert i mean crazy but my mom and my mom and i (laughs) were back at home and yeah i was born uh in november 69 Oh, your mom is cool. So she gave him a free pass. Can you imagine? Well, she was what, like six months pregnant? That's and the he ultimate. Was able to go to <laughs> exactly. Wow. <laughs> that is the best free pass right there. <laughs> all right, all right. Well, I um, I was hoping that it would have been a little bit more of like you being like 
uh, created at Woodstock. But this is a pretty good story, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so the next question that I had received is, uh, we have, and we haven't covered this, is what is the origin story of the Woodpecker Studio? So we record out of what we call the Woodpecker Studio, but there's actually two. There's our North Studio and our um, South Studio. Yeah, yeah, we're we're separated by a couple hours here. Um, I'm up in Thornton, but uh, the the name Woodpecker actually came from uh, a now closed uh, pub eatery, actually in Thornton down the road here on Route 49. And uh, yeah, that's that's about it. Pretty straightforward. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't anything. I think it was like our first episode. We just decided to like call our uh, recording areas the Woodpecker State because we used to go there and eat and uh, stomp. Yeah. Stomp. We used to get like seven Mai Tais after hiking. <laughs> right. And half of them would be for free because my wife was the bartender. So pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but so. that was a great place. I mean, I still hear a lot of people saying, man, I wish that place was open. They probably did have the best pizza in the area. And that's. You know, sadly, one thing that's sort of lacking around here. Although Tartaglia's down at the exit, exit 28, fantastic. Chesley's not too bad, but yeah. Nice. The the building's still there, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, they tried to sell it, but nobody bit. It's a great spot, but apparently the building has some issues. Yeah, yeah, it's an older building. Uh, so this is like this is the exit that like uh, on the way to Waterville Valley. So if you are listening and you you want to start or open up a restaurant in the area, take a look at that building and you know maybe you can rebrand it Woodpeckers Two or something. Yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah, you know, when we hit it really big, we can uh, expand into the actual building. Yeah, yeah. All right, <laughs> so. Like, uh, moving on to the next question here is um, this is from Brent who is on our Instagram page. So Stomp, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, you're gonna have to answer this one because I this I, is a I've hard got a one. Yeah, yeah. So he's basically saying, what are the best? His question is, what are the best areas or loops in the whites for legal stealth camping sites uh, without giving the exact location because that would defeat the purpose. Mm. Well, I would have to suggest starting with the 500 highest list because there are some really amazing loops that are outside of the the popular 4Ks and this and that. Um, I would look at the um, Cockermouth area down near Hebron. Um, That's a great area. Um, I'm a big fan of the smaller 2K, 3K mountains. They're, They're just absolutely beautiful and there's a lot of open woods so you can set up a tent set up a little camp without getting in trouble um and don't get me started on that i mean geez last time we went up uh, greenleaf last season people were camping within five feet of the trail like are you kidding me (laughs) yeah yeah. i see that a lot too i I see that a lot too like i remember like hiking out the bond cliff and there was just like probably like seven or eight um campsites just right off the trail and you know, there's, and I'm not prepared for this, but like, there's definitely some legal guidelines on the Forest Service website that we'll link in the show notes around. You know, was it 200 feet off trail? But there's a lot of like, there's a lot of um, variables to that. Like, there's certain regions where it doesn't matter; you just can't camp. Um, but like you said, these smaller peaks are usually a, a good choice. Yeah, and another thing comes to mind, like the um, the eastern side of the Pemi Wilderness on the eastern side of the Bonds, like in that area, tons of room, um, or the deeper, more remotes of Sawyer River Road, just fantastic, beautiful areas to go. 
Yeah, yeah. Probably the best spot that I've found in the Whites is, and I won't give out the exact location, but like in Willard Notch, which is between the Weeks and Mount Cabot, there's a, mm. you know, there's some flat sections there that are well off trail that are really well established, close to water sources. Yeah. Um, you know, the other thing that comes to mind with a question like this is this is where hammock camping versus tent camping can make a difference because i feel mm-hmm. like you do have a lot more options if you're doing hammock yeah. tenting or ha- hammock uh, camping yeah if you're talking below tree line if you're talking camping above tree line it, it's harder to do that on the more popular trails but if you get up towards like you know nas stream forest and this and that you can actually plunk your camp right there on the top of a mountain and not have any trouble those are things to think about too just the more out of out of the range peaks will get yeah, you yeah. and i line. always whenever i'm going out like i'm always looking at the um the contour lines as well and I'm, i'll take a look and i'll i'll just look for those big circles that those flat areas where you know you're you're up in elevation but you're seeing those flat areas sometimes you can get screwed over and they'll be marshy but a lot of times you know that's where you'll find good good campsites mm, yeah agreed so, all right. So the next one here, Stomp, this is one for you. So this is from Graham, and I think this came in through the Instagram page as well. Mm-hmm. And his question is, what's the feeling in search and rescue communities around personal locator beacons? Do they really help that much in terms of rescues, or are they more giving people a false sense of security or an excuse to not be prepared? Um, and he said, thanks. He loves the show. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I haven't polled the membership, so I don't know <laughs> the exact sentiment about PLBs. But, um, you know, personally, I, I think it goes without saying that it does give people a sense of security, knowing that they can just press this button and uh, we're going to come out there and, you know, save their butts for whatever reason. That being said, <clears throat> some of the new variations on PLBs are really handy because they offer two-way communication. So I, I carry a rescue link, which is just a, a bail me out button if I get in trouble because I do a lot of backpacking solo, uh, bushwhacking, and um, I, I I don't know. It's just what I've had for the last few years, and um, I, I, I've done a lot of research about it, and it's um, reliable in terms of using satellite and everything else and uh, getting the message out there. Um, there are satellite trackers which are just basically, you know, program messages where you can't really communicate two ways. And then you can go up in price and get a satellite communicator like the Garmin InReach. I'm, I'm getting, getting the sense that this is becoming more popular. I'm seeing more people on the trails. And some of the people that we've actually uh, come to the aid of have used them. And they've been really helpful because it gives us an idea of where they are where they're moving and they can tell us in real time what's going on so that's something to look at um garmin in reaches just the latest and the greatest then of course there's this you know satellite phones which is the most expensive option you know if you want to communicate and be sure that you're going to be able to reach somebody yeah yeah and i see this come up a lot this idea of like you know the more safety nets we give people 
the more accepting of risk they may be while going out into the wilderness. And I, I go back and forth on it because I look at the, the metrics on search and rescue events. And, you know, I've heard uh, the one metric that's hard to pin down is like the total number of people that actually go hiking on an annual basis. But I've seen through different reports that it's like, you know, figure there's two to three million hiking events per year in the whites. And then search and rescue events are somewhere between you know, where you actually have to come out and rescue somebody, maybe around 150 to 200 events per year, and then maybe another 100 where, you know, you've got to, you know, either walk somebody out or, or, or help them navigate via the phone. So the, the percentage of people getting in trouble is so minute that I don't necessarily think that the idea that, you know, the more safety nets we give people is going to be driving an increase in search and rescue. But you know, maybe you'll, someday we'll reach a point where it, it comes to that. And there will always be cases where people are just acting recklessly and not doing their research and they need a rescue. But mm-hmm. I, I don't know if, you know, access to these safety net um, technologies is, is what's driving it. Yeah, it's a really good question. But it's a handy tool amongst other tools and other gear in your pack, which we'll be talking about shortly. I mean, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it all goes, all goes together. Yeah, so this is good. We actually got questions from listeners now, so we're we're growing up. Yeah, I would encourage people to do that. I mean, inst- the Instagram page is uh, Slasher Podcast S L A S R Podcast. Uh, it's easy to find, and um, it's easy enough to send a direct message and um, any questions. Just drop them in there, or even under the uh, post themselves. And as well as uh, the Facebook page. Yep. Yeah. And we've got an email address, which is slasherpodcast at gmail.com that we check every every three months or so. So <laughs> send us a, a message there too. <laughs> Dude, that, that email gives me a headache. I open that up and I shut it off immediately. Like, what is in there? Yeah, yeah. We're getting a lot of spam. So <laughs> Slasher's Hiking Topic of the Week. First segment is in the can, so we're going to move on to our next segment, which is um, something that is near and dear to both of our hearts, and this is basically how uh, myself and Stomp met. So we're going to talk a little bit about uh, the Mount Washington Road Race. So we're in early May right now. We just went through Mother's Day, and we are, uh, by the time this this gets released, it'll be right around the time of... um, the Mount Washington Road Race, which is going to be June nineteenth and twentieth this year, so I think that's Father's Day weekend. <clears throat> it not, usually not sure. is. Yeah, they usually run it on that weekend, but uh, yeah, I'm not sure. It's it's good to see that it's running this year. Yeah, yeah. So it was canceled last year due to COVID. Um, I had uh, it's a. We'll talk about how to get into it in a minute, but I basically had an entry. Um, they allowed anybody that had an entry last year to defer to this year, so um, I'm going to be running it. So I'll have a, a recap of it after um, after I run it. But I wanted to do a segment on this just because it's coming up, and then also this is how um, Stomp and I met. So I was looking for a ride down for the first race I did, and we met on a message board, and I didn't get serial killed when I met him and his lovely <laughs> wife. So we've stayed in touch, and we've been friends ever since. Yeah, yeah, it's really cool i'm trying to pinpoint what date that was was it 2008 i have the dates that i ran it i figured that out i did my homework 
That would make sense. I think 2008 makes sense because my third daughter was born in 06 and I got back into running and then, um, you know, I got really into sort of the mountain races for a while and it was right around that time where I did Mount Washington and Cannon and a few other mountain races. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) We we can talk about that. Do you want to give the deets or do you want me to cover that? Um, I can give the details on the, the race at a high level. So every year, uh, this race is held and it is held on the Mount Washington auto road, which is accessible from Pinkham notch route 16. Uh, the road is 7.6 miles and the, um, the vertical, um, Elevation is 4,650 vertical feet. So you start a couple thousand feet up. I think Mount Washington's like 6288 feet um, high. So you, you do the majority of the, that climbing. And then the maximum grade on the road is 22%, which comes at the end of the race. So the very last section is 22%. Mm-hmm. There's a couple of sections that definitely push 20% before that, but it's a it's a grind of a race. So they usually get around a thousand runners, and it's it's just a fantastic event. <laughs> yeah, it sure is, and it's been happening since 1936. That was yeah. the first race, and uh, they've been having it annually every year. It's open to you know all categories, um, women, men. Um, what are the Clydesdales? I mean, they have all these different categories of folks that run it. But um, going back to 1936, can you imagine that? I don't, sneakers didn't exist. I mean, I did some research about shoes. And basically, if you're familiar with your uh, flat soled modern Converse, that's basically what they were running up these trails in. <laughs> well, I picture them running up in like suits and like, yeah, like uh, great Gatsby, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I can only imagine. But uh, yeah, it, it's run pretty much every year. I mean, occasionally they, they have canceled for bad weather or at, you know, at, in some cases they will actually close the course down to the halfway point just for safety because of the weather up top. But um, like Mike said, it's um, open to about 1,100 runners and um, it's by lottery unless you're one of the top uh, seated runners that uh, run it annually. And uh, the lottery's held in March. Mike's been lucky to get into it more than I have. I got in four times. I ran it um, in 2007, came in at two hours, I think, right at two hours. That was my goal, is to, to at least make it at two. 2008, I ran it again, chopped off 10 minutes, and then I just literally couldn't get into the lottery until 2011. And then the yeah, last yeah. time was 2013. Yeah, the lottery is it's very – I'd love to find out. Like I, I looked up one time like who was in charge of the lottery, but like I'd love to talk to that person because it, it's, it's very streaky. Like I had yeah. like a three- or four-year period where I, I couldn't get in, and then I've had like two, three-year periods where, where I've gotten in. I think this is going to be my sixth or seventh time. Yeah. But I do know there's also like um, besides the – uh, elite runners, there are, I think, some spots for running clubs. And there's also automatic entries for people that do the Mountain Goat Series, which is right. a series of like six to eight um, mountain races throughout uh, the uh, the New England area. So I think if you 
do every one of those races, you get an automatic bid into Mount Washington. And my guess is that that, that popularity of that Mountain Goat series mm-hmm. has increased over time. And that may explain why it's been more difficult to get into the lottery. Yeah, I've, I also tried like, um, you know, one or two years trying to, to apply as a group, like my daughter and I. Um, that didn't work. <laughs> so I don't know what the method is, but uh, <laughs> good luck. Yeah, yeah. So the lottery sign-up is typically like, I think it's like you sign up from like mid-February through the end of March. So it's like a six-week period where you can just sign up and then uh, they make the announcements sometime around March, I think. I, I It's been a while, so mm-hmm. I can't remember exactly. But just keep an eye around the beginning of the year. There's a website and we'll put a link to it in the show notes if you're interested in doing it. Yeah. And the way that I term the race is that essentially – even with the elevation like this is essentially the equivalent of a half marathon, maybe a little bit more difficult because um, it's a shorter distance, but the elevation obviously is a grind. But my times have been pretty close to my half marathon time. So I usually somewhere between like 135 and 145, I think, on my, my better times, although I'm getting older and slowing down a bit. So, <laughs> Well, speaking of speed, the record is held by Jonathan Wyatt and um, the this is unbelievable. He did it in 56 minutes and 41 seconds, and that's still the record. I've been following this guy for many years now. Uh, he's quite the athlete. He runs all over Europe, I mean, just worldwide. And uh, there are so many great athletes like Dave Dunham, uh, Simon Gutierrez, Eric Blake. A lot of these runners are just absolutely incredible to watch. And um, they're always in the race, and uh, it's just awesome awesome to see it is yeah yeah and uh the the my biggest my most impactful memory of uh of the race was the the 2013 race so i, I don't know stomp if you want to talk about that because that is in our show outro right our exit um music. i don't know if that cut was that cut from 2013 i'm not entirely sure oh yeah i don't, I don't know but um dave mcgill mcgillvery who is the the race director i don't know if he's still the race director but he was in 2013 he was also the race director for the boston marathon so i ran the 2013 marathon in boston and uh, i finished before the uh the bombs went off but he had done the introduction to the 2013 mount washington road race and you know it was pretty close after the the marathon bombing and it was a, he gave this speech that was really memorable and it was uh pretty inspiring there was a guy that actually ran it he carried an american flag all the way up with him so he, that guy does cool. it every single year yeah yeah he does <laughs> that's amazing <laughs> <laughs> so a, l- a little bit about the auto road for people that are not familiar with it. Um, so again, it starts at, it's right past Pinkham Notch Visitor Center and it, uh, it starts, um, you know, flat for about a couple of hundred feet. There's a little toll gate right there. So you run across it. And then from there, once you get past that little flat section, it is uphill the entire time. And I tend to split the, the, the road in half. So there's the section where you are below tree line, and then there's a section where you're above tree line. So I think tree line starts showing up around 4,000 feet, which I think is around the mile four marker. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then once you, and, and the lower section is actually a little bit steeper than the, the upper section, believe it or not, um, on the elevation gain. 
But once you get above treeline, you'll make your way around the um, around the mountain where you'll sort of head towards uh, Huntington Ravine. And then once you get to it's the Nelson Crag um, junction, there's a U-turn. So the road turns to dirt. You hit the U-turn and then you head back up towards the Great Gulf. And then it's like a steady climb from miles five and six. Uh, where you'll parallel uh, the Great Gulf, and then eventually you sort of turn back towards, um, you know, running towards Tuckerman's Ravine, and you get that view out into the, uh, you know, southern um, Pinkham Notch, and then eventually you just make your way to the, uh, the the finish area. There is one flat section around mile six, six and a half. Do you remember that? Like that's like the greatest feeling ever. <laughs> it feels flat as a board too after all yeah. the uh, the uh, inclination on the way up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And um, you know, once you get to the, you get past that flat section, you go up a little bit more, and you get into the parking lots. And that's where the crowds start kicking in. And you'll usually have, because the runners will have spectators that will be driving up to drive them back down. You know, you'll have you know, hundreds and hundreds of people cheering you on at the very end. And, uh, you know, the volunteers make sure they give you nice warm blankets and, and food and, and everything you need to warm back up because it's usually pretty cold up top. Yeah, and if you want to volunteer, I mean, they're always looking for people to um, host the water tables at the mile markers on the way up the trail and stuff like that. So there's opportunities there for folks that are interested. How yeah, I, yeah. Can we talk about your warm-up? Because this is the funniest the psychology before the race kicks off is brutal. It's so nerve wracking. Um, I don't know what you do to prepare for it, but what I would do was run around the Great Gulf. Uh, no, wait, what is it? Uh, Great Gulf ski trails, you know, the cross country ski trails. Glen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Great Glen, isn't that what it's called? Yeah, it's like, the, yeah, exactly. They're like bike trails that are right next to the, uh, the, 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 entrance way to the road yeah I'd, I'd run those for maybe you know 15 20 minutes just to try to warm up and then the rest of the time i was sitting in the porta potty <laughs> just nervous as hell like oh my god yeah, uh, yeah my routine is almost exactly the same the only thing is is i skip the running ahead of time so oh, i'm just really? in the porta potty so you don't I, I, you don't warm up i was never yeah i was never a warm-up person i i, oh, I, I, I have to oh 5Ks I would warm up, but other than that, if it was like a longer race, I, I never do anything. I do some stretching, and that's about it. But I see people like sprinting and you know running like two miles ahead of time and all this stuff, but I just never really subscribe to that. Mm, yeah, I would have to warm up because it's that first you know, half a mile, maybe 15, 20 minutes where your lungs are just exploding. That's just so uncomfortable, and then you, you finally ease into it. But I, I like to avoid that, that first uh, warm-up period when you start the race. Yeah, yeah. And my advice for anybody that's training this, if, especially if you're a first-time runner, um, there's really two, there's three approaches you can take. Uh, the first approach is you do the treadmill because you're never going to be able to replicate <laughs> the, the the hills. Unless you live in New Hampshire, you can run up Bear Notch Road or run up the Kank or Hurricane, run up. Hurricane Mountain. Yeah, Hurricane Mountain. There's a few places where you can get some really good elevation in New Hampshire. Even like the Lakes region, honestly, has some good extended hills on it uh, they're not as steep but they're still pretty good uh but you know you can you can do outside hill hill running if you want but really the treadmill with a 12 to 15 percent grade is 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 a good way to train there's some other people like i've read before dave dunham like has said that you don't necessarily need to do a lot of elevation that if you increase your mileage 
significantly. Like that'll give you the same impact. Uh, but for me, the biggest thing, the biggest piece of advice that I will give people is run the actual road before the race. And um, psychologically, it's the most impactful thing that you can do because it takes the mystery out of it if you haven't done it before. And I typically will run it on Memorial Day weekend, and I'll start in Pinkham Notch. I'll run Old Jackson Trail out to the auto road, which gets you to about mile two of the auto road, and then I'll run up. Mm-hmm. to the top and usually it's a it's a good time to run because i think the day that i typically do it is the first day that the observatory is open so i'll run up grab a hot dog and then run back down hmm. awesome i have just like i know this is sort of like selfish but i got to talk about me and my my body for a moment <laughs> do you mind if i talk nobody about nobody wants bo- to talk about my, your body my but, glorious okay. <laughs> glorious body yeah. when i was running this race i weighed 165 and i was i I showed you pictures recently of that uh that first race and i was like wafer thin and then when i started having my hip issues i shifted gears and just went straight into hiking full time just to save the hips and uh, with the heavy pack and stuff i weigh 210 now (laughs) it's like what a world of a difference from trail running to just pure hiking and backpacking that's a huge, huge change in, in my body structure. It's amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a lot of luggage you carry in extra. <laughs> so, and and the other, one other thing I will say is, yeah, yeah, definitely. Like the lighter you are going uphill, the better it oh, is. Oh, absolutely. But the, the the other thing I will say is, like, I would say the vast, vast majority of people that are doing this race are at some point walking. Like I I would say maybe 10% of the runners are actually running the entire race. And then what you'll see is some combination of like a walk and a run. Um, You know, some people do like 100 steps running, 100 steps walking. And then a lot of people just just power walk the whole way up. But for me, I run the whole way. And I just basically, a very short cadence in my runs. I barely overlap my feet. And um, I just... The, I, the born to run oh, technique, right? Yeah, exactly. I'm just, it's... Um, Bird steps. Yeah, it's short, uh, fast cadence, short steps is the deal. So you just find your gear and just keep moving. So I'm mm-hmm. basically doing like 15 minute miles the whole way up, so. Yeah, yeah, you cruised up. I, I could never do that. I would just try to walk, run, walk, run, uh, speed walk. Um, I, for some reason, my, my calves cramp up near the top and I think it's, worse when there's a cold wind blasting my my muscles (laughs) that's been my experience like the last when you hit that last hill that's when my my calves decide to throw a fit and you're 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 holding your calves as you're crawling up and everybody's clapping like oh great (laughs) yeah exactly and they um the the weather's obviously a factor sometimes you got the wind blowing in your face but i've actually most of the races i've i've done have been pretty decent weather i think if anything the last two i've done have been like way too hot Mm -hmm. um compared to what i was expecting so yeah and and also you you do get a shirt you can get a shirt and you get a medal right they still doing the medal yeah, yeah, yeah. I have uh, I have a bunch of those metals hanging downstairs. So. I gotta find mine. I'm not even sure where I put mine, but those are cool. Hang them in the hang them in the woodpecker studio. <laughs> right. <laughs> so. oh, there you go. Right. Mount Washington All Road right. Race. Epic. Yeah. So I will uh, once I do this race. So I'll I'll do another recap of it and then post some pictures and stuff. But it's it's great. And if you're, you know, if you're around and you want to hike Mount Washington that day, just be prepared. It's going to be big crowds, but it's a fun environment and. It's definitely worth checking out. Mm-hmm.
Are you ready for Slasher's Weekly Gear Review? All right, Stomp, you want to get into my gear closet now? Yeah, let's check it out. All right, so our next segment is gear. So we've talked a lot about safety, and um, you know, we highlight a lot of news stories about people getting in trouble. So I think gear is a critical aspect of making sure that you stay safe. So we wanted to uh, talk a little bit about just basic gear list, and this is essentially... Um, summer day hiking or sort of three season day hiking and what I did here is I just I put together I was getting ready for my hike and I just put together a list of everything that I'm wearing everything that I took on the the trip and I just put it together in a list form here to kind of go over and I was going to run down it and just get Stomp's perspective on uh, the good the bad and the ugly about what I'm what I'm bringing out there. So um, I'll start this off by saying for day hiking, I really do not give a shit about weight. So you'll hear a lot of people talking about making sure that you're ultra light and all this stuff. Like I really don't care. Um, <laughs> it's you know two, three, four extra pounds one way or the other doesn't make that big of a difference. And most of the weight that I'll carry that's really heavy is going to be water and liquid anyway. So I can. I can take steps to manage that if I need to. Mm -hmm. So what's first on the list? Clothes. We're going to talk about clothes. So, um, The first thing I start out with is a a wicking t-shirt. So, you know, you don't want to wear a cotton t-shirt. So everything is wicking. I don't even know, like, what is wicking? I know what it it is when I see it, but I really don't know what it is. Yeah, I mean, it's just generally synthetic um, fabric that is designed in such a way that the water travels out away from your body versus staying in the fabric. So it's constantly moving away and out. And then, uh, what, convection, just air, wind, just drying off the shirt or pants. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I have, um, I've got a bunch of wicking t-shirts from old races that I've done. I don't really um, worry too much. Wicking cool, man. It's wicking cool. Wicking cool, exactly. (laughs) The other thing that I have been wearing a lot lately is um, I've got these Eddie Bauer mountain shirts, which are short sleeve shirts. They're they're called button-up shirts. Oh, nice. I actually love them. I love them because like when it's really hot, I just undo the buttons. Um and it's it's just really flexible, and you know the collar looks nice. I feel a little bit dapper with, yeah. my, with my collared shirt on. I go the same route. You can look pretty snazzy. Yeah, yeah. So, so I'll typically I'll mix and match. So depending on like this weekend when I went hiking, I wore a wicking t shirt, and then I had the Eddie Bauer mountain shirt over it. But when it warms up, I'll wear one or the other, and it, no rhyme or reason to why I wear them. But um, I'll just pick one, mm-hmm. and then what I'll always include in my my gear is a uh, a quarter zip long sleeve shirt. Again, wicking material, and I've got three or four of these. I've got an REI brand, I've got a New Balance brand, and I think I've got a Nike brand. So typically, like that is what I'll wear if it's a cool morning and I'm starting off. Mm-hmm. And then the as far as pants and shorts go, for pants I use what's uh, Cool Revolver pants, which is K U A H L. These pants are um, zip off, so they can turn into shorts. Mm-hmm. I uh, haven't done that with them yet. Uh, typically, if I if I think it's going to be shorts weather, I'll just wear shorts. Um, but these are nice. Those yeah. are great. Generally, those those hybrid pant short uh, setups are great because those the junction where the zipper is actually can be a nice tick barrier. <laughs> I found <Yeah. laughs> they yeah, just they exactly. walk right up into that fold of fabric and they get stuck there. So pretty handy. 
Yeah, yeah. And I don't wear pants that often when I'm hiking and if it's outside of winter season. Like if it's if it's gonna if I'm gonna start off below probably like forty or thirty five degrees and I know it's gonna warm up a little bit, I'll probably still wear pants. But if it's like if I'm starting off at like forty five or fifty and I know it's gonna get up to sixty, sixty five, then I'm wearing shorts. And my pick for shorts for and again this is all men's gear, so I can't help the ladies in this one, but we will have to get somebody on that can give more perspective on female gear but i wear marmont shorts in the summer and i'll link the 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 details on those but they're perfect um they've got side pockets so i can hide stuff in there and um, you know they're i've got probably about six different pairs to six different colors that i use mm-hmm. so. good stuff so far no complaints on yep. my end <laughs> yep i got uh, darn ta- darn tough socks so i've got a mix of like light running ones i've got mid-weight and then i've got heavy um heavy wool socks and depending on the situation like i think the last weekend when i hiked i just wore like the heavy wool socks with my uh, my trail runners so mm-hmm. i i've got a bunch of different darn tough but i think you so, can do the smart wool darn tough and i don't know what other brands there are yeah those variations are fine i mean sometimes people put a really thin um liner sock inside that but uh how many pairs do you bring during the summer do you bring an extra pair of socks or just go with the one if it's warm weather i just go with the one um typically i bring an extra pair of socks for the car so i'll just strip my socks off and then put a put a new fresh pair on when i'm driving home right right that's that's great yeah Yeah. if i'm doing an overnight or something i'll bring up i might bring an extra pair Mm -hmm. yeah so i sort of roll the same way yeah, and then as far as outerwear goes, um, I have basically a, uh, a puff that I will uh, bring. So I have a, a Patagonia Nano Puff that does not have a a hood. Colder weather, I have an Eddie Bauer Evertherm that is a, a little bit warmer. I rarely bring bring that with me on uh, summer hikes, so it's usually just a lightweight Patagonia. But you, you know, there's a million different brands of this stuff: Mountain Hardware, uh, LL Bean. You know, you, any lightweight um, down jacket will do. Mm-hmm. And then I will bring rain gear. So I have two options here. I use a, an Eddie Bauer backcountry shell which is a event brand so there's really two materials there's event and then um, Gore-Tex are the two sort of heavier shells mm-hmm. and then when it warms up a little bit I'll wear a I'll, I'll put the Eddie Bauer away because it's a little heavier and I just bring a uh, North Face raincoat which is a two-layer raincoat uh, and the thing about these this rain gear is I just you're gonna get wet if it rains so mm-hmm. I don't worry about it too much how heavy is this stuff the Eddie Bauer is a is a winter shell, so okay. it, it does a good job keeping the the rain out. But it's pretty heavy. But the 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 North Face is like nothing; it's just a light rain barrier. Yeah, gotcha. Not breathable at all, though. So you end up sweating. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, and then after that, just hats and gloves. I always bring those, even if it's going to be ninety degrees. I bring hats and gloves. Um, How about shoes? So Brooks Cascadia trail runners is what i use you never really go with boots do you you prefer trail runners i don't yeah i just prefer them um people talk about like ankle support and all that stuff but i just find that you know you you get attuned to it you know you're working without a net and Mm. you just got to be careful about that yeah sure i mean in search and rescue we tend to encourage people to avoid the trail runners um, just because of the the demands of the rescue it's just 
you know, that's why I sort of roll with boots and backpacking boots in general. I've, I've, I'm a little leery about trail runners, but that's just me. I think my ankles are a little funky, so don't want to tweak them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's you got three choices. You got the trail runners, which I would say probably like. 75% of the people I see out there are wearing. Mm. Um, you've got traditional boots, and then you've got those like uh, Keen and um, what's that other brand? I can't remember. Oh, there's uh, a dozen. But, <laughs> there are so yeah. many now. Mer- Merrill, I think, is the other one. So you got Keen and Merrill, like sort of traditional hiking shoes, which mm-hmm. I find those to be too stiff and a little too heavy. So I just I just like the trail runners. No, it looks good. I mean, it's great stuff. It's all wicking. That's, that's the big key. Just avoid the cotton. Cotton's a nightmare. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then I have uh, the last thing on the list here is my sunglasses. I've got Oakley flak jacket sunglasses, which are nice because when you scratch the the lenses, you can just pop them out and put new ones in. Mm-hmm. So, do you? Um, there's there's two schools of thoughts with sunglasses. Like I know some people that are like, I just buy cheap ones and I don't care if I lose them or, or hack them up. And there's other people that tend to say, I'm going to buy higher end ones and, and that's going to force me to take care of them, which is the avenue that I go with. Yeah. I'm, I'm not a big sunglass person. <laughs> I, I try not to wear them. I just like the natural light. I will wear um, safety glasses if, if I'm bushwhacking, but um, yeah, I don't really have a preference for uh, glasses. Got it. Yeah. Okay. Um, next, next topic here is backpack. So um, in a summer day hiking trip, typically you want to have a backpack that's somewhere in the like 20 to 35 liter range. 35 liters is huge for a day, day pack in my view, but I, <laughs> I typically have something that's like under 25 liters. See, that's, so. that's funny because I, I think 30 is way too small. <laughs> yeah, I'm like so. amazed that people go out hiking with these smaller packs. Like, what? how do you do that? How do you fit all that stuff in there? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, and I'll, I'll put this list on the show notes, but I, like, I fit everything in there. It's amazing. So, um, yeah. So, but this is this week. I actually I have a new, brand new pack, which I'm very excited about. It's uh, the Ultimate Direction 20 liter fast pack. So I've been I've been carrying a Duder um, 22 liter pack for the last like five six years. I've done every hike with it. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, I have a bigger version for the the backpacking trips, but I, I just switched it out because this Ultimate Direction is is a it's a trail runner vest uh, setup. So it has all the pockets in the front, so you can get water, snacks cell phone everything you need on those shoulder straps which is great and then um it's it they market it as a 20 liter pack but i think it's probably closer to 25 liters it's it's huge yeah so big fan of that and then um as far as navigation goes i've got a a compass i've got a whistle and a temperature or thermometer combination that i use so i rarely ever use the compass because i've got one on my uh my garmin watch and then i've got a um you know gia app on my iphone which i also use for for navigation and then i always carry a white mountain guide waterproof map so worst case scenario if i need it i've got the map and the compass Mm -hmm. i've if I'm doing okay with my technology, I'll rely on the the Gia app on my phone or uh, directionally my Garmin. So I've got pretty much everything covered there. Yeah. Yeah, I usually throw in a GPS uh, just for the hell of it. <laughs> but yep. then again, I'm just doing a lot of bushwhacking. So that's my big fallback. GPS if you get turned around while you're out there. Um, but yeah, Compass. Compass is great. I actually have a a new um, Casio Rangeman, which has altimeter, barometer, compass. It, it's phenomenal. 
I mean, the, nice. some yeah, check it out. It's really a great watch. Yeah, yeah, I have a Garmin Forerunner 935, I think. So it's it's got all the altimeter and barometer and mm. compass and all that stuff too. So yeah. I, it's worth the investment. I mean, the, these watches can be expensive, but it, if you're going to be out hiking a lot, it's definitely worth getting them. Yeah, absolutely. How about uh, first aid? Yeah, yeah. So I was looking through my first aid. So the biggest thing that I, I would stress to people is I have a um, a splint. So you can get like a CM splint. Yeah. Uh, most of the issues that we see in search and rescue calls that are sort of not reckless are typically due to lower leg injuries. So having a splint, I, I don't expect that I'm ever going to need to use it, but you know, you never know. And then also you having one on your in your possession while you're out hiking, you could be in a position where you can help somebody out if they get injured as well. Mm -hmm. You know, it's really handy. Some of the um, small diameter duct tape, you know, if you have to splint up somebody's leg and uh, you don't have a proper splint, you can use poles or whatever. Um, I mean, using a, a shirt, a long sleeve shirt to, to tie up a, a splint isn't the greatest. So, I mean, I usually have some form of tape or even uh, tie wraps to a point. I mean, you can do a yeah. lot of good things with those. Yeah, yeah. The splint I have is a, um, so it's, it's just a regular splint. And then I have like a, uh, I don't know what the length is, but it's like that medical wrap where you, it just sticks to itself. So mm-hmm. the idea is you can brace that. And then, you know, I, I talk about this later on, but I've got paracord and zip ties and things like that, that, that can also be helpful. Yeah. But splint and a wrap for first aid. And then I've got just a small first aid kit where I have gauze, band-aids, um, assorted size of band-aids i've got wipes i've got burn gel tylenol advil benadryl tweezers and then uh, i carry my sunblock um and then i have an extra pair of contact lenses because i wear contacts so just in case i lose them or something i I, i've got a backup here um other things that i have here in my miscellaneous section here i've got a i carry my iphone for photos like i said i've got a number of different zip ties that can be used for all sorts of things Mm -hmm. i've got paracord um which can be used for all sorts of things as well as like if you've got low visibility situations we've talked about this in the past like you can use this with a partner to sort of guide your way to different um trail markers uh duct tape i've got a nail file i don't know why i have a nail file i think I think this could potentially be helpful if you forget to like cut your toenails and you're getting some injuries. I'm pretty sure that that happened to me once. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it goes along with the the college shirt. You just got to you know look proper and good out there. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> matches, lighter. I've got a small Swiss Army knife. Um, mm, those multi tools are cool. Yeah, 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 yeah. People don't like those, but I, I like it. It's a little heavy, but it's it does the job. Mm-hmm. And then uh, I've got a solo bivy. Mm-hmm. which is uh, just a, a space blanket bivy for emergencies. Yeah. Carry toilet paper and an ultralight twa- trowel to uh, to take care of nature calling. Mm-hmm. So do you want to break down how that works, Stomp? Oh. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the suggestion is to dig a hole. Is that what you're referring to is the proper method? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's- dig a hole six inches plus deep and um, try to aim the best you can into that hole and then cover it up after the fact. Um, there's a lot of pollution on the trails. People aren't uh, necessarily covering their paper and uh, feces properly these days, and it's pretty nasty you know, on the busier trails. So take the effort. Yeah. You know, I, I don't carry a shovel, but I will find a, a pretty rugged stick nearby and just dig out a hole, and uh, that works pretty well. 
Yeah, try to get as far off trail as you can because mm. what you don't want to happen is to get everything all set up and then have a bunch of college students walking by you as you're <laughs> doing your business. Not that that's ever happened, but just just a fair warning. Um, <laughs> other items that I have in my my pack here is I have a headlamp and battery. So I have a nice uh, black diamond headlamp, and then I also keep like a backup uh, Walmart headlamp. So I have two mm. just in case I run into anybody that doesn't have a headlamp and just in case mine breaks. Yeah. Uh, I carry black diamond hiking poles. So I've had these for years, and I've got a broken tip on one of mine, so i got to take a look at that and figure out how to fix it. Hmm. Collapsible? Yes, yeah. So I have collapsible. I know that there's... Also, the twist kind. Yeah. I'm not a big fan of those twist kind. No. I feel like they're, they're not as effective. I don't know why. Mm-hmm. And I've got a trash bag for rain. So I do not carry a, a, a pack cover for rain. I just, if it starts raining, I just have a trash bag where I put everything into and then I put the trash bag inside my pack. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Yeah, I don't typically, I'll bring it if I go backpacking just for legitimate trash, but I usually don't bring a trash bag. Uh, sometimes I will bring a tarp um, for rain purposes and things like that. Yep. Yep. Uh, food and water system here. So mm. uh, take your pick on food. I mean, for me, it's peanut butter crackers, cheese. I'll get a turkey wrap, Cliff Bar. If it's warm out and it's the afternoon, I'll take a beer with me. And then my go-to sort of in-my-pocket snack is uh, I mix peanut butter M&Ms and pistachio nuts. So I get sweet and salt. Mm. Yeah, that's awesome. I, I like these uh, new tuna packets. I find that tuna um, is fantastic for any muscle cramps and things like that. Saw plenty of salt and electrolytes. Nice, nice. Mm-hmm. And then uh, my water system, I, I mix and match on this. So I have a bunch of soft water bottles that I'll, I'll, I'll use. And then sometimes I'll take my Nalgene. And then sometimes I have a, I have a three-liter three bladder that I'll take if I know I'm really going to do some big miles. And I just want to throw it in my pack and have easy access to it. So mm-hmm. uh, always take my mini. So I have a Sawyer mini filter and a, and a bag that goes along with Those it. Those are great. So, yeah, so I'll and my technique with water is I'll I'll do research ahead of time if I know where I'm going and I know there's going to be a good water source. I won't start with any water and I'll just filter everything um, as I go. Yes, Sawyer Sawyer has the filter that you actually put on a water bottle itself. So you just fill up your water bottle and then put the filter on top like it's a cover. I know that uh, like our buddy Nick uses one and he raves about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's the Sawyer Mini that will fit. Yeah, that'll fit on the water bottles. Oh, it is the Mini. Because I have, I thought you were referring to the the kit with the bag and the the filter that you put on top. But that, okay, that's good. Well, so that that kit has a uh, it it attaches to a bag, mm-hmm. but then it also attaches to water bottles. Okay, so it, it can go in either direction. I do tend to use the bag, and then I'll fill up like my bladder or the soft water bottles, and just have access to them. Yeah. But I know a lot of people just use it to directly on a, on a water bottle. I've seen issues with those bags. I mean, you're putting a lot of pressure trying to filter those. Uh, side story on that, you should clean the filter too because it can make it a lot harder to filter the water from the bag if the uh, filter is clogged up. So they do recommend that you clean those things pretty frequently. Yeah, yeah I'll usually back flush them um, after every hike and then you want to store them in a... Uh, a dry area and you know you don't put them in the freezer or anything like that because it'll ruin the filter Mm -hmm. so 
Good awesome. stuff. And then the other optional things that I call out here is sometimes I'll take Gatorade with me because water just gets bland. Um, I'll put none tablets in there to give it a little bit of flavor. And then if it's a really hot day, I might pop a couple of salt tablets uh, before a hike just to avoid cramping. I'll bring some energy gels if, if I have them. And then you know, we'll have typically, I think I had already said this, but I'll sometimes bring a beer for the summit. And, um, one thing that I will do with my beer occasionally is if I'm, if I'm bringing a beer and it's a hot day, I will use a water bladder and I'll fill the bladder up with ice mm. and a little bit of water. And I'll, I'll put the beer in a plastic bag and I'll stick the beer inside the bladder hmm. With the plastic bag, so the beer doesn't like get exposed to the water, and that way, I'm drinking my water and ice, and then I'm also keeping the beer nice and cold. Gotcha. That's awesome. It's pro tip. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a huge fan of uh, the Pedialyte. I've been I've been using Pedialyte for several months now, and if you notice, they're just starting to kick in some serious ads. Um, you know, trying to promote it for sports and athletic events and things like that. So Pedialyte's great. It's a little less sugary than Gatorade and those types of drinks. Um, so check that out. I'm going to stick to Gatorade. I like my sugar. <laughs> so, all right. So that's 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 a wrap on my, uh, my gear. But before we close this out, I, I just wanted to call out some, some shit that I don't carry um, or and some of the stuff I don't worry about. But uh, like I said before, I don't care about weight. Uh, I am not carrying a personal locator beacon right now. That may change. I, I, I think given the, the show, I may start buying some of these things and test them out so that I can give some perspective. Um, and I don't have like a dedicated GPS, so um, like a, a Garmin in reach or something like that. Uh, I don't carry beer spray. I learned that lesson from when Stomp blasted himself. <laughs> um, infamous. Exactly. I don't carry a big knife. Sometimes I'll see people walking on the trails and they'll have like big giant Rambo knife on their hip. And I'm like, what are you going to do with that? Like, what? what?" Um, And then I also don't carry any metal containers for water. Like I know with my kids, like that's very popular. Like they have these big, heavy metal thermoses that they use. And I don't carry any of that stuff. Yeah, that's old school. Yeah. And then we talked about boots. I don't wear boots. I don't wear traditional hiking shoes. So, so that's it. It works for me. I haven't been, uh, I haven't been searching rescued yet with all this gear. I like it. I like the pack. I mean, it's good. I, I go a little heavier. I, I tend to double up a lot of stuff because I'm thinking, always thinking like, what if I come across somebody, um, that needs, you know, warmth or whatever. So I'm always thinking a little bit. It does impact the weight of the pack, unfortunately. So that's why I tend to go with a little bigger pack. So we'll and cool. we'll talk. We'll do a gear review on like uh, overnight backpacking. My perspective is a little bit different. Like to me, like on the overnight backpacking, like I definitely am more focused on making sure that I'm optimizing my weight strategy. Uh, for, but for day hikes like this, I just I, I'm I'm packing for comfort and and safety versus um, speed. Very good. So uh, that's a wrap on this. Like I said, I will post all this information on the slasherpodcast.com website. And I'll also put in, there's a couple of different like sites and resources like Philip Warner's like section hiker pages, like the go-to where I'll always go to get gear ideas. So I'll, I'll include a couple of links to different places besides 
our our location where you can go for gear advice. Mm-hmm. All right, Stomp. So moving on to search and rescue here. It sounds like we've got a couple of news stories, and I don't know if you were if your volunteer organization was involved in any of these. But uh, do you want to start off with the, the latest and greatest on search and rescue? Yes, sir. Yeah, uh, we were not involved on two recent sur- uh, rescues. But I want to give big props to Lakes Region Search and Rescue. Um, on May 9th, there was a rescue on Mount Potash Trail. A 65-year-old hiker, Kenneth Winitzer from Conway, was hiking with his wife, fell, hurt his hip while descending the trail. A uh, passing hiker was able to hike back up to get cell service and was able to put a call out for the pair. And um, apparently the couple was prepared with a personal locator beacon. So as to our conversation, they were able to activate it. So I'm not sure what uh, message got received first by Fish and Game, but um, along with conservation officers, Lakes Region Search and Rescue responded. Um, He was placed in the litter and carried out to a uh, a U.S. Forest Service road adjacent to the trail, and they were out by uh, 7 p.m. And uh, he was taken to North Conway for further treatment. And then there was another rescue that came on the 14th, or actually the 13th, uh, shortly after 1.30, a hiker was injured on the Wentworth Trail in the area of Mount Israel. That's a beautiful area. Have you hiked over there? Oh, I love it. I love it. The Wentworth Trail is great. That's a great hike. It's so beautiful. That that, that area is just fantastic. Um, but this person was hiking with a friend, injured her ankle just below the summit, and they had first aid equipment. They treated the injury best they could. Despite their efforts, she was unable to bear weight on the ankle. So they called for help. In this case, they had uh, help from Sandwich, Tamworth, Moulton Borough, Center Harbor, Holdeneth, Holdeneth, <laughs> Holdeneth Fire Department, <laughs> and nice. uh, Lakes Region Search and Rescue again. So here you have a, a situation where you have a volunteer team working alongside uh, local EMS, which is, you know, it happens uh, fairly often. It happens here quite a bit on Mulch Dickey. So good cooperation. They um, got this person out by about 530, carried her two miles out from the, uh, the summit down to the trailhead. So bravo, Lakes Region. They're a fairly new team, but they're doing some good work down there. They're staying busy. Oh, yeah. I used to tease them so much. I'm like, you guys have mountains down there? <laughs> yeah. And they honestly, you know, I hate to give this stuff away, but like the the, the Ossipi Range, the Squam Range, the Belknaps, I mean, those are the views and the, the challenges as far as like, you know, the up and down and elevation. Like some, some, it's, some of it's not as hard as the White Mountains, but there's a lot of hikes in there that you, you can get a lot of distance and a lot of elevation. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, rugged too. Yes, no doubt about it. Yep. So that's what we have for our rescues. Fairly Q word, quiet, but um, geez, we have some warm weather coming. So let's uh, see what happens over the next few weeks. Yeah, yeah. I have one uh, news article that popped up that I was like um, very interested in, and I'm going to follow this one closely. Mm. And, you know, it's a human human remains were found by some... some in my neighborhood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What have you been up to, Stomp? 
<laughs> what have you been up to? So a group of fishermen, um, they were following a brook into the woods off of uh, Sandwich Notch Road, and they discovered human remains on Sunday, March 2nd. So the remains are being analyzed by the state's uh, chief medical examiner in the hopes that they'll be able to determine the identity of the person in question. So anytime that I hear that a body has been discovered, I'm always thinking in terms of like, okay, these, you know, these missing people that uh, we covered in the, the previous episode, like, could it be any of them? And, right. you know, I immediately go to Mara Murray and I'm like, it's, it's, it could be her. Mm. Yeah. So uh, keep a lookout on this. Um, have you heard yeah, anything yeah. yet? Well, what happened, so the Mara Murray, like, um, universe on, like, the, the social media is just crazy. Like, anytime there's a body discovered, like, there was a body discovered off of, like, a walking trail down in southern New Hampshire, like, a few weeks ago, and everybody was, like, freaking out about it, saying, like, I wonder if it could be her. But, like, Mara Murray was missing in Haverhill. I think this body was found in, like... I can't even remember. It was like Nashua or something. So it's like so far away. But this one here, um, what's what happens is typically Mara's sister, Julie, will get notified by the police anytime there's a body that's found in the area. So they mm -hmm. notified her very quickly on this okay. and let her know that the remains that were found were of a male. Um, so she put an announcement out and said, like, you know, everybody calm down. It's not Mara. It's, a, uh, it's an unidentified male. Um, so I was, I was taking a look through the, the cold case list. There was nothing listed on there that stood out to me as, as, you know, obviously who it might be, but I did pick up a new story of somebody who had gone missing a couple of years ago in Laconia. I don't know. We'll have to keep an eye on this one to see who it is, but it just goes to show you that like when these missing people uh, show, you know, pop up. You know, they can be out there for years and years. Mm -hmm. They can be close to trails. And typically, you know, it's it's going to be some mushroom hunter, some fisherman, mm -hmm. or, a, or a regular hunter that's going to stumble across the remains, you know, the or a bushwhack hiker. Yeah, exactly. Those are like the four areas where they'll, you know, you, you might stumble across something. But we'll, we'll have to keep an eye on this one. Let me just read that paragraph. It says, the remains uh, described as skeletal were found near a stream. In Sandwich Notch, to access the site, responders traveled down Sandwich Notch Road, then Algonquin Road, up a snowmobile trail, and then walked along the stream. So, I mean, somebody put a lot of effort into this one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Super I mean, remote. Yeah, it's crazy. And they, you know, the bones were scattered through the woods um, as though they were, you know, uh, pick, picked at by animals. So, it's... Mm. It'll be very interesting to see what comes of this. So I'll keep an eye on this one, and we'll update everybody when, when we hear something new. Right. So, Stomp, I think that's a wrap. We covered a lot here. We talked about COVID. We talked about gear. We talked about search and rescue and the Mount Washington road race. Yeah. Oh, shit, we didn't talk about COVID. What am I talking about? <laughs> <laughs> let, me, let me do this one over. Yeah, hold, hold on. We got to give you a PCR test quick. <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. So, um, so that was a good show, Stomp. We talked about uh, Mount Washington. We talked about gear, and we talked about a bunch of search and rescue stuff. So, very exciting. And um, we'll call this one a wrap. Yes, it's a wrap. And coffee's a good thing, huh? These morning sessions, yes, are pretty good. <laughs> yeah, I'm shot out of a cannon. So, have a good one. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed the show, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. 
If you want to learn more about the topics covered on today's show, please check out the show notes and safety information on slasserpodcast.com. That's S-L-A-S-R podcast.com. You can also follow the show on Facebook and Instagram. We hope you'll join us next week for another great show. Until next time, on behalf of Mike and Stomp, get out there and crush some peaks. Now covered in scratches, blisters, and bug bites, Chris Staff wanted to complete his most challenging day hike ever. Fish and game officers say the hiker from Florida activated an emergency beacon yesterday morning. He was hiking along the Appalachian Trail when the weather started to get worse. Officials say the snow was piled up to three feet in some spots and there was a wind chill of minus one degree. And there's three words to describe this race. Do we all know what they are? Lieutenant James Nealon, New Hampshire Fish and Game. Lieutenant, thanks for being with us today. Thanks for having me. What are some of the most common mistakes you see people make when they're heading out on the trails to hike here in New Hampshire? It seems to me the most common is being unprepared, and I think if they just simply visited uh, hikesafe.com and got a list of the 10 essential items and had those in their packs, they probably would have no need to ever call us at all.